We have gathered before your word, O God. We want to hear with understanding, so give us attentive ears. By the power of your Holy Spirit at work in the word read and proclaimed, make the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So we have two scriptures this morning. The first one comes from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, 5 through 6, and 8 through 10. All the people gathered together in the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday and the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And our second scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. And you're going to recognize this one because Charlene read it last week. And when we were preparing for our swap, we thought, well, it would be fun to do the same scripture because we always do different things with it. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, 
but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of powers, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Our centering hymn this morning is number 557, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. fascinates me that Paul had such a keen understanding of both the human body and the church as a body. After all, Paul was living in a time when there were no doctor's offices or hospitals or medical journals that he could consult. When people got sick in Paul's time, they didn't go to the lab for endless blood work or scans. Yet despite the lack of medical resources, Paul knew that the human body as a whole was dependent on each part doing its job and being protected and cared for by the others. 
And despite the fact that the church was only in its infancy during Paul's ministry, he could see that it needed to operate as one body, with each member of the body doing their job and being protected and cared for by the others. For Paul knew that if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Like our human bodies, the church suffers together when one of its members suffer. And when one is honored, it rejoices. And like the body, its members come to depend on one another for guidance and direction to wholeness and healing. And anyone who has had something go wrong with their body quickly comes to find out just how intertwined that human body is. When my father first became ill about five years ago with liver cirrhosis caused by an enzyme deficiency, I could have told you the basics, that the liver was important for cleansing the body of toxins. However, I quickly found out after his diagnosis that the liver does a lot more than that. It produces enzymes that are necessary for the health of your lungs. And those toxins that it cleans from the body keep a variety of other organs operating like they should. And if the liver stops doing its job of cleaning, even your brain is affected by the toxins and stops functioning properly. Thus, if the liver suffers, the other organs in turn suffer. And so it is with us, the church. Each of us has a role to play. Sometimes we are helping other members do their work, and other times we are keeping them from harm, but there is no getting around the fact that if one of us is suffering, the rest of us suffer alongside. And in a world where there is clearly so much suffering, we as a church have suffered much together in this season. We have suffered loss both personally and as a body. We have watched the world around us grow farther and farther away from God. We have lived through wars and crises and trials. Ezra and Nehemiah knew about that kind of suffering. As a part of a body of people that had been exiled from their homeland, they had suffered separation from each other, from their temple, and from their land. And although they had returned to Jerusalem... It wasn't all hearts, flowers, and sunshine the moment that they arrived. There were all sorts of problems that they had to contend with. The ruins of their city needed to be rebuilt. Other peoples had moved into the land while they were away. And those that had stayed behind during the exile and those that had returned were not often in agreement as to how to move forward. Not to mention that there were these new generations of Israelites that had been born in exile with little to no knowledge of what it meant to follow God and to love their homeland. Now, some of you, if you are remembering your biblical details, may recall that Nehemiah didn't even really have to return to Jerusalem for his own self. He had this very cushy job as King Adarazerxes' cupbearer, and he could have stayed behind in Babylon, happily tasting all of the king's beverages, unless the day arrived that one of them was poisoned. But when he found out that the city of Jerusalem was in ruins, he became so depressed that the king gave him his blessing to go back and rebuild the city. And it is during this rebuilding of the city and its wall where all of the infighting and conflict and disputes and fragmentation and faction forming and political intrigue kicked off in Jerusalem. There was even a letter writing campaign at one point with some serious smack talking and slanderous naysaying. 
which didn't make it easy for Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Nor was it easy for Ezra the priest to work to restore Judah as a worshiping people. Because things had changed while they were gone, and not just the things that they could see. Their identity as a people was no longer clear. They couldn't go back to the things as they were in their pre-Babylonian exile days because in truth, that wasn't working anyway. And they struggled to imagine what their future looked like. They knew that they needed some continuity with the past and they knew that they needed unity in their present if they were ever going to have hope of tomorrow. Which is where we come into the text today. By the time we pick up the story with Ezra and Nehemiah in chapter 8, much of the work of rebuilding the city walls was finally complete. And yet because of this work and all the problems that ensued, Nehemiah knew that there was healing within the body to be done. All of the suffering that they had done as a people in exile and as individuals needed to be healed if they were going to be able to move forward together as a nation and a body of believers. And so Nehemiah gathered all of the people together, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. And he had Ezra read from the book of the law of Moses. And as the text tells us, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Nehemiah brought the people out to the city gates, which was the place of deliberation and judgment in those days. And he brought them out there for a public reading of scripture. And the text tells us that Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people and that during these hours long reading, that the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. The people responded by saying amen and amen and they lifted up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This public scripture reading was healing for these broken people. They heard through Ezra's voice and God's words what it meant to be a covenant people. They rediscovered their identity as children of God and as a body of believers by reconnecting to God's words. Those words reminded them of how they were to be living in community with each other. And yet we know from the text today that just hearing it wasn't enough. There were people there that gave the sense of the reading so that the people understood its meaning. The people gathered there weren't satisfied with just hearing the word that day. They talked through it until they understood it. And through that understanding, their healing began. And when this reading was done, Nehemiah directed the people to rejoice. He directed them to eat and drink, and for those who brought food and drink, to share it with those who did not. And he said to them, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For in this moment, this moment that they had set aside to focus on God's word, the people were finding a way to heal their hurts and divisions. They were discovering how to find their way back to God as one of his children, this rejoicing, this rejoicing over returning, not just in body but in spirit, would later be illustrated by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son. Yet here they were, not a prodigal son, but a prodigal community, finding their way back to God through the truth of his words, finding their way to healing and wholeness by reading his words together. 
And that kind of worship, that kind of healing for our churches and our communities is something that we must continue to work towards even today. We must remember that as a body that is suffering together, that our healing and our wholeness comes from God alone, and that his word, when we read it and study it together, offers a powerful opportunity for healing for us all. For the scriptures remind us what it is to be part of a covenant community, to care for one another and to honor one another, to suffer and to rejoice as one body. And just like the people in Nehemiah's day, we must lift up the word together as often as we can. We must listen and ask questions and seek the kind of understanding that they sought so that we can put God's word into practice in the current circumstances that surround us. For just like those Israelites, we find ourselves living in a country that we do not always recognize and among peoples who thrive on conflict and disputes. And yet, just like the Israelites, God's word continues to serve us, and in that, we can rejoice just as those people rejoiced. Because God's word can transform our lives. Like the prodigal son, we can, as a community, as a church, as a people who cares for one another, always return to him, and there is great rejoicing as worship and the word renews our lives and our hope. And so let us, as a body of believers, care for one another and honor each other by lifting up God's life-giving words whenever we are together. For even in our suffering, we can remember the words of Nehemiah, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to love and care for one another in a time when so many are suffering. Remind us of the power of your words to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal the sick. And renew in us a desire to fully understand what it is to be a member of the body of Christ. Amen. As we come to a 